0: Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Insights with Experts. Joining us here today we have Theo Capadistris. Now Theo is a multinational award-winning lawyer currently acting as the general counsel for Upcord. Now furthermore uh, his law efforts span to him being the president of the Tasmanian Division of the Association of Corporate Counsel Australia and lastly he is also a keynote speaker, trainer and facilitator who speaks and trains people on a variety of topics, which um, I'm sure we're going to maybe learn a little bit more about in this interview as well. So Theo, it's absolutely wonderful to have you here with us. Uh, just to start, how are things? How's everything in your hometown and everything like that?
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's awesome to be able to contribute to this conversation. Um, no, things are great. Uh yeah currently a public holiday here in Hobart so uh, great to be able to spend the day having a chat to you I think it should be a bit of fun um but yeah no everything's going well um it's it's meant to be I guess we're we're into autumn now um still kind of warm for Hobart standards so Mm -hmm. yeah no it's been a pretty good day
0: yeah awesome and even if it's warm I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I actually enjoy the fact it's warm. So that's quite nice. Um, so there, like in my, in my in- intro, I gave a very, um, very, a very rough overview of who you were, some of the main jobs that you hold right now. Could you maybe tell us what that journey actually looked like? Like what made you want to go into law? Why do you do it? And essentially what did that road look like to stand, uh, where you currently stand now?
1: Yeah. Great question. Um, I guess for me, I wanted to get into law originally because it was a degree um, that kind of ticked a lot of boxes for me. So the things I was interested in included, um, I loved public speaking um, and I, I really enjoyed drama. So in high school, those were some of like the things I loved to do the most. And I thought, well, in law, you get to appear in court, you get to go to meetings, you get to do all sorts of fun things like that. So, that made sense to me um, to tick that box. Other things I really enjoyed were uh, communicating and writing. um, English and Japanese were some of my um, most, like some of my other favourite subjects. Um, So, law kind of fit in well with those aspects as well. Uh, And then just a skills thing, I really loved um, problem solving. So, being able to solve people's problems Um, meant that you know law kind of made sense from that perspective as well and of course I have a love for people I really like working with people talking to people hearing their stories Um, so once again uh, a law degree made sense to go down that path to kind of tie everything together when I was at university um, you know I, I tried to make myself stand out from the crowd because there are so many people who have a law degree at the end of the day. I think the statistics are something like 12,000 people in Australia will have a law degree. So that means I'm essentially competing against, you know, thousands of other people. I guess I'm lucky in Tasmania that there aren't that many, Um, probably a small, small, you know, a much smaller pool, Um, probably like 100 or 200 or so each year um, that graduate. Um, and then move on to doing the practical legal training course. But for me, I thought I had to um, establish myself as being my own person. So part of that was developing additional skills and being able to tick those boxes. So um, I managed to compete in the InterVarsity Negotiation Competitions. Um, That was a thing called the Australian Law Students Association Conference. I was really fortunate to win the internal competitions at the University of Tasmania, where I studied. Um, two years in a row, uh, so 2012 and 2013. So um, they sent me and a partner along uh, to compete in that. I didn't win, sadly, either year, but it was really great to have that skill on my resume um, and the opportunity to actually go out there and just give it a go.
0: Um,
1: Other things I did included running the student legal service. That was a legal advisory um, service run by students, but um, managed and looked after by uh, lawyers in the community legal sector who would um, supervise students, providing advice to those in the community. Uh, so I managed to become, the, uh, yes, I was the president of that. Um, and the year before, myself and the committee turned it into a advisory service. It used to just be a referral service, um, but then we you know, made it something which was giving back to the community. But in my presidency, I was really fortunate because I was able to um, receive a grant of $50,000 to then um, hire out a migration agent or an, Im- an, immigra- an immigration lawyer, I should say, um, which meant we were able to support people um, who were potentially being deported uh, and being able to, you know, see that real change that we were able to. Provide to students who were going through a pretty difficult time was quite rewarding. So it was really great, I guess, from a professional perspective to say, look, these are the things I was able to try and achieve through my leadership, but also personally to be able to help people and provide the mechanism to help people, um, as well as all the students who got to benefit from being part of the program. And it was a lot of fun. I guess my journey into my first job. Uh, I I did a couple of clerkships which gave me some practical skills. Um, Only small ones in Tasmania, so one in Hobart and then one in Launceston, those not familiar with Tasmania, that's the city, it's the second largest city in the state Um, and it is probably like a two hour drive or so, so I I did that clerkship for two weeks. And then I had to do the practical legal training course. So once I finished the Bachelor of Law, I had to do um, the Graduate Diploma of Legal Practice and be admitted as a a solicitor. So once I completed that, I thought, well, I don't know what I want to do. Um, I didn't have a job, so it was a bit of a struggle. But you know, I had a lot of my resume, so I was able to demonstrate that I'm a, I guess, a full person rather than just a person with a law degree, which I think is a really important distinction. Um, But I saw a job pop up at the University of Tasmania and I thought, ooh, that could be cool, in-house legal. I hadn't thought about that as a career path. Um, And the job description seemed really fun. You you know, you get to do stuff in intellectual property, get to look at stuff in um, privacy, uh, commercial, contract, construction real property dispute resolution employment. I thought this, this is everything. This could be like the launch pad for a really exciting career. So, um, compiled my resume cover letter, selection criteria, wrote all of that up and then sent it off. And then, yeah, a couple of weeks later I had an interview and then I think a week after that, uh, was given a job. Um, and then long after that, I started. So I was admitted in, uh, August of 2014 and then was working by November of 2014. Mm-hmm. So a bit of a, bit of a break in between, but that allowed me to figure out what I wanted to do, apply for jobs and really just think, well, how can I get into this industry? So yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um, and you talked about that thing whereby, you know, you, you said you had something like 20,000 students who are next to you. And um, if we look now, we have, we're looking at the largest population of young people we have ever seen. And that's not just in absolute terms. That is as a percentage of just everyone overall. We're seeing the largest population of young people. That means that students having to go out of their way. um, They're having to do things that you just wouldn't usually see to really stand out from that crowd. We're seeing students start companies. We're seeing them do all these amazing things. And, you know, speaking of that, of these initiatives as well on the side, um, I also mentioned in your intro that you run the entire keynote speaking initiative and everything around that. Could you maybe tell us a little bit into that? I mean, why, why, why'd you start that? And um, what are some of the things that, you know, I could perhaps learn if I were to like um, join the course or so on?
1: Yeah. I mean, great question. So I guess a little bit of background on why I launched, but uh, I found myself in 2017, 2018, and 2019 um, speaking at events regularly. Um, it got to the point where I was being, you know, flown around different states of Australia um, to speak at conferences and events. And I thought, this is really great. I love it a lot of that was legal focused um which isn't i guess the stuff i really want to speak about but you know those were the opportunities that I was given at the time and it gave me a platform to really um get on stage and present uh so i had a lot of fun um with that and it got to the point where i thought you know what i think i have some real value to provide to people i think i am able to help people with um you know developing their skills and developing what they're doing so maybe i could make this professional maybe as well i could get paid for it that could be really fun um and great for me to i guess try something something different um so in march of 2020 so what a year um a year ago i launched my website and put myself out there as a professional keynote speaker and trainer Mm -hmm. and Yeah, I mean, that was probably the worst time in human history to put yourself out there as a speaker for events when there are no events happening because of our old mate Mm -hmm. COVID-19. But in saying that, um, you know, towards the end of the year, um, I started getting a few um, virtual engagements coming through and, you know, looking at, things now especially in Tasmania um, we are looking at you know more face-to-face events now so it's pretty exciting that um, yeah that landscape is coming about so I can kind of do more um, in addition to working as a lawyer full-time um, in terms of what I speak about so my I guess the, the headline for what I do is to be seen be heard, and make impact. Essentially, I help people communicate. Mm -hmm. I help them amplify their message, simplify their language, and have their value recognized. Mm -hmm. What I really want to do is help people to cut through the shit um, and have their voices heard and to make that real impact. Um, I mean, it all sounds a bit fluffy, but Mm -hmm. I hope it doesn't. But I mean, really what I'm trying to do is just help people really think about how they're putting themselves out there, how they're communicating and how through their communication they can do so many awesome things. Mm. I've got a number of keynotes. Um, They're listed on my website, but I guess one of my favorite ones, probably the most popular that I've presented on is titled turning the technical into the practical communication success. So that's really about um, particularly those in the professional space. uh, They think with such Um, intelligence and technical language but they're not getting the breakthrough they're not getting that influence across to other people who need to hear the message Mm -hmm. so my training my keynotes but also um, workshops because I run both depending on the audience Mm -hmm. um, it helps individuals to really break down what they're saying think about who their audience is um, think about um, how they can communicate their Um, message in the clearest concise way and then um, methods to really get that reach and for them to really make the biggest impact they can
0: now like okay so let's i'm just going to take into account some of the views that we might have imagine i'm i don't know like a software engineering student imagine i'm an accounting student and i i'm going into uni i'm taking my course with the expectation that i'm probably not going to need to communicate that much i'm probably not going to be doing let's say as much speaking as a lawyer, why should I be paying attention to learning how to improve my communication skills? Why should I, you know, be interested in this field?
1: I mean, great question. If, if as an individual um, in your job, you might not be communicating a lot, you know, perhaps through like writing code, but to get that job, you need to communicate. You need to write a cover letter, you, you need to interview. So, as a student, those are some of the key things that you need in able to get to that opportunity. but then, once you 're in that role, you need to work with people sure there 's going to be a chunk of time where you 're spending time by yourself. But in a software team, if you 're doing software development you 're going to be working in a sprint you 're going to be doing agile development, so part of that is working with people closely. you you have to hear what people are saying and then communicate um, back to them how you can solve that problem. Uh, So really there's going to be so much there that people need to, I guess, elaborate on and understand and then um, communicate back to, back to their audience, back to their um, end users and back to the people who are needing them to do this work. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of software is making a product. And if you don't have, the right stuff to make that product if you're not hearing and you're not communicating back as to what's needed then you're probably not going to be doing the best thing you can so communication is really key for any sort of role
0: and you talk you talked a little bit in there as well about communication when you're on a team when you want Mm. to work with other people as well and that's something you're going to have to do in any job in any field specifically in uni when you say the word group assignment People in the class are like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, (laughs) Reason being is because they don't look forward to what's coming. And reason being is because group assignments are notorious for often having these few students who overwork and carry the entire group. And then having these other students who, you know, slack off and stuff. And what you get are just a team, a group of people who aren't communicating. And, you know, this is something you see very often in uni. So with that, like, what advice do you have? For students when they have to work with other students and they know they vary they aren't they don't have the exact same mind like the person I'm gonna be working with he has a different work ethic and I have how do I communicate with these people and work with
1: them this is great because I guess one of the things I speak about as well is um, collaboration uh, but collaboration and communication go hand in hand I call it hashtag squad goals because what you want is to be able to communicate to people how, what, what, what collaboration is for you. Mm-hmm. Everyone's idea of collaboration is different. If you get three people in a room and talk about what they think collaboration is, they're going to come up with a different response. Mm-hmm. So I think the initial thing is be clear on what you mean by collaboration. Mm-hmm. Think about how, what collaboration is for you and how you as a team need to collaborate together in order to get that end result. So that might be communicating what everyone's skills are. So you start off with, okay, well, I'm really good at doing this part. So in the assignment, I'm going to do this and I'm going to focus my efforts on getting this really, really awesome. But in order for me to get this part, um, someone else needs to do this other component. But then you've got someone else and they're probably going to be awesome at it. You know, they might be really good at researching and doing some of that background work. So, this person might not have to like communicate as much with people initially, but um, they can be in the background doing all the research and the heavy lifting for that other component. And you might have someone who's really good at doing graphic design. They might be a whiz on Canva, um, so they could then compile everything together into a beautiful like paper piece of paper, whatever it might be. So, I think the key thing for collaboration is to initially communicate how you're going to collaborate together, but then also what your skills are in the process, what you are really good at and how you can then work with everyone else to put it together. It's a really interesting space. And I think it's going to be different for every team, but there's going to be a few things that are going to be similar for everyone. And that is, yeah, figuring out what collaboration looks like for that project.
0: I I want to stay on the topic of this entire thing of communication, speaking and stuff I feel like we're really starting to like hit some nails in the head here. Um, one of the things that I did before I had this interview was I had a look at your site and everything like that. And I really liked um, you know, everything that you speak about, specifically with communication. One small sentence in that entire page really caught my eye. And I wanted to talk about it here. The reason being is because it's going to be quite relevant to our audience. What that is, is the rise of the word Karen on social media and stuff like yeah. that. And if you would have told me like six months ago, I'd be talking about Karen in one of these interviews, I would have told you to shut up, but um, here we go. So essentially mm. with that, tell me what, what, what did this entire thing entail? Why, why do you think, how is Karen linked to everything that you do in all of these workshops?
1: So what I find really interesting about the rise of the Karen is the fact that the Karen often doesn't think about what she's saying. She just says what she wants because it benefits her. So the words that we say can make a huge impact. And I don't think the Karen or the media's perception of the Karen, of the Karen personality. Uh, I don't think she understands how hurtful and impactful her language can be. We've seen so much in the media, uh, the Karen movement, uh, particularly in America, how they don't want to wear their masks, how they don't, um, how they believe it's against their human rights, how they have a sense of entitlement and um, often, you know, a racist rhetoric behind what they're saying. They don't realise how damaging that can be because our words can really do a lot of damage and what we communicate and how we communicate can be incredibly, um, incredibly powerful. And the Karen has a lot of power because they're able to get themselves on social media or they use their social media um, to their advantage to scare other people um, following their own rhetoric, um, whether, whether it is anti-masking or, um, you know, whatever it might be. So I think the Karen has made us realise that our words really do say a lot how we communicate how we perceive what people are saying the words we use um and i guess what the end result of what we're trying to actually communicate is is really powerful and important what we want to do is make an impact but we want to make a positive impact and i think if we use the current as an example of what not to do um then we're probably going to go down a really good path, I'd say, or I'd hope anyway. But yeah, I think 2020 has made us realize that, you know, the Karens are out there and we don't want to be one.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you think the future holds in terms of Karens? Like do, how do you think we're going to get to a society where we see less of these Karens, where we have more open-minded people, where everyone can share their opinion, uh, an open-minded opinion that is without just being attacked?
1: I mean, the future is interesting. I think it's hard to really know what it holds. Um, I think, I think, you know, we're going to have people who are going to have conflicting views, but it's how we respond to it. Um, what's, I think, what I think is important is the fact that, you know, we don't want to say things that are damaging to other people. So I think we need to be mindful of what we're saying and how we're saying it and where we're saying it. Um, I think you know we saw so much with the trump administration the use of the you know term fake news and how damaging that was because what could we trust we couldn't trust anything that was being told to us Mm -hmm. um and that's that's not fair that's not fair to like question everything that's being put in in front of us i think we do need to believe some things and i mean if we're believing everything that any person says on facebook then you know we're really quite screwed Mm -hmm. um So what we want is, I think we want an open discussion, but we want, you know, the truth and we want things that are said that are actually going to be um, useful and beneficial to other people. We need to have an open conversation. We do need to have that. I think that's important, but I think it's also the method in which we do it. Um, Especially, you know, we don't want to do something that's going to be harmful for public health, harmful to um, a group of people in the community who don't deserve it. Yeah, it's just an, it's an interesting time. And I mean, I'd love to see what happens and, you know, um, how, how, you know, people's views can be respected, but also, uh, not cause a complete stir and in our society.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and with that last thing on the entire communication aspect, one more thing I saw on your site was you talked about LinkedIn and the power of networking. And so, and I think that's something quite underused, you know, Students of this age, almost everyone has an account on TikTok. Everyone's got a Snapchat. Everyone has an Instagram. What you don't see are many people on LinkedIn. And I think that's because there's this misconception that it's, you know, for old people who are in the corporate world. Um, and I wanted to ask you with that, like, why, you know, why, why should we be using LinkedIn? What, what can we gain from not just LinkedIn, but just the importance of networking as a whole?
1: So LinkedIn, I think is one of the most amazing platforms out there. Um, for me, I joined when I was a student, I was in my fourth year of studying at in uni and it made sense. This is time for me to like put myself out there. I'm going to be applying for the national clerkship programs. I'm going to be applying for jobs soon. Um, people are going to Google me. I may as well help control what messages out there. If someone Googles me, it's going to be the first thing that pops up. It's going to be my LinkedIn because I think the algorithm just favors it. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is, but you know, the importance of, um, I guess establishing yourself on a forum like LinkedIn means that you're able to, um, meet new people. You're able to develop yourself as a thought leader. You're able to, um, connect with people who are potentially going to be really beneficial and important to you in the future, which is so cool. Um, I think in my final year of studying, you know, I I came across a lot of really awesome people who were able to support me and mentor me and help me, I guess, you know, figure out what I wanted to do in my career. And, you know, as I go to events, as I, um, you know, meet people along the way, I'm connecting with them on LinkedIn. Like it's the digital business card. It is how people will see you. And it's the first impression you give. So being able to put um, important information on there, being able to engage in important discussions, being able to meet people, it's only going to help you. It's only going to help, I guess, anyone looking at um, a potential new job or, you know, what they might want to do in the future. There are, I think over 500 million users on LinkedIn, something crazy like that. So knowing that there are so many people out there, heaps of people who are probably in a position that you might want to be in in the future. It makes sense to really just get on there. I mean, for me, it helps, it helps build and develop and continues to build and develop my personal brand. Mm-hmm. And your personal brand is something that you take with you down the line. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to encourage people to use all forms of social media, um, Instagram, TikTok, mm-hmm. Clubhouse. Yeah. Clubhouse is a new one, and if you're not on it, I say check it out. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I probably need another hour to talk about Clubhouse. But <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe for a future episode.
0: Yeah, who knows? <laughs> um, with I want to I want to like talk again. So, in the first answer you gave me you talked about the fact that you were applying for a job and you were fairly lucky well i wouldn't say it was luck because it was hard work but mm-hmm. you had lots of things on your cv uh and so on and we can try and translate that over to let's say if someone looked at your linkedin now like what what would they see uh with that i want to ask like we're currently doing lots of work into cv um we're actually currently making a cv workshop now um which if you're listening you might get in a few months or weeks you knows? um but essentially, with that, I want to ask you a question. Some employers, when they look at a student CV, they, let's say uh, I'm 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 in a law firm and I'm trying to hire a student. Uh, I'm, I only look for their law-related experiences. And then there are others that look for just experiences as a whole. Like if mm-hmm. this person's climbed, you know, the Himalayas, if you know, if this person's joined an NGO and helped homeless people or anything like that. Um, they count that as experience and that's agnostic to whatever field you're in. I want to ask you with that, when you look at people to work with, do you think it's important to apply for a job to specifically have experience in that job? Or do you think there's value to doing external experiences as well?
1: I think there is huge value in doing external experience as well because your skills are transferable. I cannot emphasise that enough. So I didn't have a lot of, I guess, specific legal advice experience prior to getting my job. I was able to do legal related things, um, but it wasn't the be-all or end-all for me in terms of what my CV looked like. Um, one of the main things I used in my selection criteria to get my first job um, as like, a, a lawyer was my experience as a pharmacy assistant. So the transferable skills from that included um, my communication with customers, being able to um, hear their issue, understand their issue, and then provide a solution back to them with a product or a service that the pharmacy offered, which is something that you do as a lawyer. You have to understand their issue. Um, you have to, because you know, a, a client doesn't come to you and say, hey, I'm a contract law issue. You have to talk to them to figure out what their problem is. Um, and you have to diagnose that and you have to understand that. So that's, I guess, one of the key transferable things, but then also being able to find a solution to the problem of uh, being able to provide that advice. So in the pharmacy context, it was okay. I hear that you've got a runny nose and um, itchy eyes. It sounds like you've got hay fever. Um, as a lawyer, it's, Oh, Hey, um, yeah, look, I'm having an issue with my neighbour. Their tree is um, ruining my fence. So then it's okay. Well, we've got an issue. Um, we've got a potential property law issue. Um, let's let's deal with it through you know this this legislation here, here, there, whatever. So it's being able to, I guess, yeah, um, have that trans- transferability of your skills, which is. Super critical. Um, so doing things that aren't necessarily just related to your position mm-hmm. can be used for your, yeah, your career. Yeah. Um, I guess don't dismiss the ability of just working like a ordinary retail job. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not ordinary. Like the skills you gain from that are huge. It's amazing. And there
0: was a bit of foreshadowing with that in the first answer you gave, talking about the fact that, you know, in high school, I don't know if it wasn't in high school, you did lots of like theater acting and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I mean, funnily enough, so have I, that's what I spent lots of my high school doing as well. And in year nine, I went into acting thinking this is stupid. When am I ever going to use anything like this in the real world? Why would I need to act like, you know, Shakespeare, or anything like that? That's horrible. And then now I look back and I think my acting classes were probably one of, if not the most important subject I took in high school. Uh, just the amount it did for public speaking, for interacting, for having this public persona, you just couldn't put a price on that. Um, but yeah. And so with that as well, I'm just currently looking at the time and I'm going to finish off this interview with a classic question. This is a question we ask everyone, uh, anyone who comes on. And essentially what this question is, it's often called the hardest question, uh, but what the question is, is if you could leave young people with just one piece of advice, what would that one piece of advice actually be?
1: So my one piece of advice would be say yes to opportunities as they come. So if you are in a career or if you're looking for a job and you want to get, you know, go to a a particular career path, but something else comes along, Mm -hmm. say to yourself, you know what, I'm just going to give it a go. I'll give it a crack because a foot in the door is better than nothing. Sometimes you can't be choosy about what you're doing. And I think if you are going into an opportunity with an open mind, um, giving it a crack, then you're going to finish that with having more skills than what you started and as you go along in your career you're going to see that things pop up voluntary opportunities uh, the ability to contribute to like working groups just say yes like I think 100% like I I say yes to probably too many things um so that's something I need to get better at in terms of scaling that down but getting involved and doing different things means that you are able to just develop your skills better I mean for me you know I became the group general counsel of a global company at the age of 29 and you know that was something that i was able to do because i i gained i guess the appropriate skills to put myself forward for it so yeah please just say yes to things as they come along